Let's pray. We're going to get into the word. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you, God, for your presence here with us. We thank you, God, that we can come together and sing praises to you. Oh, God, our hearts are full, full of gratitude, full of just thankfulness to you for all you've done in our lives. God, we desire right now that you would speak to us through your word, that we would be forever changed by your word, by the moving of your Holy Spirit. We desire to please you today. We desire to do what you want today in us. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, you guys, also I wanted to tell you that this is Miriam Courtright's last Sunday with us. And so make sure when you see her and Sean in the lobby on your way out that you give them some love. We're going to miss them. I'm sure they're going to be back, though. She's going to come back and be a guest artist at some point. I, I, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. <clears throat> All right, today, I want to talk to you about the heart of sacrifice. Now, don't tune me out, because I know that when you mention the word sacrifice a lot of times, people start thinking, oh, you're just trying to get me to do more stuff. Is this it, Pastor Jim? Are we going to try to get more volunteers today? Are you going to guilt trip me into doing stuff? And the answer is no. This is not a pep talk about doing more stuff. I believe that we're supposed to have emotional, physical, and spiritual health in our lives. And good habits uh, lead to health. And I get that. So I'm not trying to convince you to do more. What I want to talk to us about is our hearts and the way we live our daily lives. And being transformed by the power of God's spirit and his word. I want to talk about loving him with all that we are and all that we have. This great love that we have for him leads to devotion. And devotion leads to worship. And worship leads to obedience. And obedience leads to sacrifice. But not empty, meaningless sacrifice. You guys know in the book of 1 Samuel it says, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's not, that doesn't mean sacrifice is bad. What it means is sacrifice without the right heart is just religion. It's just religion. And some of you come to church out of obligation. Or you come to church because your loved one nags you. Or you come to church to check a box. That's, that's religious works. And you may consider that sacrifice, but that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about is the right heart that leads us to, do, to sacrifice for the Lord out of devotion and adoration. Sacrifice that says, I'll give up anything for you. I'll give up everything for you. Sometimes I, I picture in my heart or in my mind's eye a window. I want you to, to see that with me. Like there's a window and I can look into my future. I can pull back the drapes and I look into my future of what my life means or, or what it's like. And I picture a better way to live. And sometimes while I read God's word, I get a snapshot of what my life could and should be like. While I'm spending time in prayer, I feel the Holy Spirit drawing me towards it. So the curtains of the window of my life are pulled back and I see a better way. And I want to turn away from my natural tendency, you know, to, to worship self. 
But I, I can see through that window a life poured out for Jesus a heart so full of love for him that I'm willing to do anything. Not just something big on a specific day, but little and big things every day. My tendency for constant attention to achievement and acquiring prestige and things and position and regard is put away. The concern for my rights is over. The pressure of work and bills and relationships and health issues and fatigue do not consume my thoughts in this life that I can see through the window. The tendency that I have to default to a life filled with attention on myself is dead. And I can see a better way. Can you see a better way for your life one that leads to true fulfillment and rich blessings. A life that not only pleases you, but pleases and glorifies God. When you take your last breath here on this earth, what will remain from your life? What will be your legacy? Is it your 401k? That can disappear in an instant. Is it your job or a business that you've grown because that can be ruined in an instant or the next person that takes it over can do it better? Is it a home because somebody you know can build a bigger home? Is it some kind of achievement because there's someone that's going to come along that can one-up you? Are those the things that you want to brag about at the throne? Those types of things? Is that what we're going to stand in front of Jesus and, and brag about? That's what our life consisted of? What about the people who know you? Do they feel loved, seen, noticed, prayed for, encouraged, shared with, served, challenged, helped? Are you able to share Jesus with your words, with your money, with your hands, with your actions, with your time? Most of us who follow Jesus come in and out of that type of life. Sometimes we are completely in love and devoted to Jesus, and other times it's like we're not even able to remember who we really are. And the fallen nature comes naturally to mankind. It's as if self shouts at us, all eyes on me. Everybody look at me. It's all about me. That's what the self says. But we have an example to follow. And the example is not about stuff. It's not about your reputation. It's not about things. It's about sacrifice. It's about knowing God and then serving him and others. In Jesus, we have the ultimate servant and king. And before you think, well, that was just Jesus, you know, he was, he's special, I'm not like Jesus. I don't want, want to remind you that Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, live your life like I live my life. Jesus came into the world by being born in a barn, not a palace. 
His birth was announced by shepherds, not a royal messenger. His earthly family was poor, not rich. Not only did Jesus start his earthly ministry life in humble beginnings, but Jesus consistently took the route of self-sacrifice. He identified with the lowly and the outcasts. Jesus was always willing to give up his reputation for the sake of serving those around him. Often the social outsiders were trapped by their culture and society, but Jesus humbly offered a new way. Jesus was never consumed with obtaining earthly stature or reputation, and it's not like he didn't have the opportunity because he did. Instead, Jesus remained obedient on earth to the heavenly purpose he was called to do. He gave away abundant, never-ending love to all. Even Jesus' final days here on earth hardly looked like those of a king. He was killed as a criminal in a torturous, humiliating manner. Jesus entered the world humbly and exited the world humiliated. Yet God highly exalted him. As a church, our calling is to follow in the footsteps of our teacher, Savior, and Lord, Jesus Christ. May we choose to sacrificially serve others in love, to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and strength, and to love the neighbors as ourself. That's what the greatest commandments are. We know that. To live a life loving God, totally devoted to him, and to loving those around us. But what's the problem? The problem revealed is mankind is consumed with self. Mankind is consumed with self. The fallen nature says it really is all about me. But God is calling us to something else. I want to read in Mark chapter 10. Turn with me there. Mark chapter 10. Let me hear those pages rustling. Or your phone's clicking. I don't know. Now, you guys remember, I'm going to start uh, by telling you a story just to save a little bit of time. A rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he wanted to know how to have eternal life. And Jesus said, keep these commandments. And the young man said, I have since my birth. And Jesus said, okay, sell all you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And it says the young man went away sad, because he had great possessions. What's interesting here is Jesus didn't change it based on the man's response. The rich young ruler had a lot and he went away sad. Jesus didn't say, okay, then just give me half. Just go sell half then and come, oh, well, you just sell whatever you want then and follow me. Jesus didn't change that, why? Because he expects devotion. Devotion and worship means I surrender my all to you, Jesus. And so I feel like this story sounds like us a little bit because some of us have kept certain commands all of our Christian life and we're kind of proud of our Christian behavior, kind of proud of that, but we're not willing to give all. It's just like this rich young ruler. Jesus is asking for us to give all. All right, 
Let's begin to read in verse 23 of chapter 10. It says, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, there's a few things here that really jump out at me. One is the disciples were astonished. Why were they astonished? They were astonished that it would be difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, isn't that the people you want, God? Jesus, don't you want the rich people, the successful people, the movers and shakers? It, it blew their mind. It blew their mind because that's what they expected. That Jesus would want to be with the quote-unquote influential and they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. In other words, anybody who gives their heart to me, I can transform them. Why is it hard for the wealthy to come into the kingdom of God? Because they depend on their wealth. They have no need. They think they have no need for anything else. That money can buy them the, the influence and the power and the things that they need but they need Jesus, they need God, right? So he's saying this to the disciples, it's totally blowing their mind. But then Peter, in true Peter fashion, says, but we have left everything. Okay, God, I, I understand, you don't, you know, the wealthy, but we. I've given up everything, and look at us. We're really gonna be rewarded now because we are suffering so bad. Listen, I want to tell you that sometimes we act like that as Christians. Oh, we're just suffering for Jesus, just suffering for Jesus. Hand me my latte. We're just suffering so. We act like we're just suffering so. And Jesus goes on to say, you know what? Nobody gives up anything for me that they do not receive blessing. They receive blessing. And by the way, this hundredfold is not literal. It's a, it's a figure of speech. Otherwise, everybody would receive a hundred houses and a hundred spouses and a hundred daughters and a hundred sons. That's not what he's saying. It's saying that I am going to give back to you more than you could possibly imagine if you follow me. And the first shall be last and the last shall be first means you don't know how it's coming or when it's coming, but I'm going to bless you. You cannot outbless God. You're not being cheated out of anything. See, God wants us to exchange our weak and feeble plan for his superior plan. That we would walk in his way and walk in his life. And it's not about the things. It's not about the prestige. It's about following Jesus, being devoted to him and loving him.
Let's continue to read in verse 32. It says, now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we're so grieved for you. Teacher, our hearts hurt for you. Teachers, we would like to die in your place. Te no, they didn't say that, did they? What did they say? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. He just poured out his heart about all that was coming. Their response was, this is what we want. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to, him, to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized with you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. So the disciples were amazed at what he said, and they were fearful. And Jesus took them aside and told the disciples that he would be mocked, flogged, and killed, and rise again. And maybe you would expect some comfort to come from them, some encouragement, some strength-giving compassion. But they asked for the favor. They wanted to be first. They wanted to be on either side of him. Even after what he had told them, they were still feeling that way. There has to be a way to deal with the selfishness and the self-worship of man. The problem revealed was that mankind is selfish. But there has to be a way to deal with this. There has to be a remedy, a solution. History, our, our sinful history, the worship of self, Self-destruction and rebellion must collide with destiny. I'm going to read that again. History, the worship of self, self-destruction, and rebellion must collide with destiny. And that is Christ's crucifixion on the cross. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest anyone should boast. For where is workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? So the answer, the very first step, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That life transformation, change from the inside out, a new way of living. At the beginning, I talked about this window that we could look through and we could see this life, this sacrificial life poured out for others 
making a difference in the world. That can only happen when you take this first step of knowing Jesus Christ as your personal savior. So the problem is man is selfish, but the solution is to give yourself away. You have to give yourself away to Christ first and then to loving and serving others. Look what it says back in Mark 10, verse 42. It says, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This passage is often used to teach servant leadership. And it's a great example of servant leadership. But it's so much more than that. It's actually about followership. It's about being a follower of Christ. I think of the story in John 13 where Jesus took off his outer garment and he took a towel and he put it around his waist and he knelt and he began to wash Peter's feet. Do you remember that? And he was going to wash the disciples' feet and of course they, they didn't want him to do that because it seemed so out of place for, for Jesus to be washing their feet. But the king desired to become a slave that he might serve. He wanted to become their servant so that he could serve them. And then he went on to tell them, this is how you're supposed to live your life. I don't want to tell you right now that we as Christians are called to be servants. We're called to serve Jesus out of a heart of love and devotion and to serve others. Jesus is calling us to be loving, devoted worshipers. And it's about what pleases God not what pleases us. It's about what pleases God. We don't think this way as modern day Christians. In fact, a lot of you came to church today and you were expecting to be pleased. You wanted the temperature to be right. You wanted the chairs to be comfortable. You wanted your coffee to be delicious. You wanted the music and the worship team to sing all of your favorite songs. You didn't want it to be too loud or too soft. And you wanted Pastor Derek to teach an amazing message. And you want that message to last only 30 minutes and you want to get out and get to the restaurant. Now listen, don't even pretend. I know you people. I am you people. Okay, here's the problem with that. We're thinking about what pleases us all the time. How many of you, before you came in today, this is rhetorical, don't answer it, How many of you prayed and said, God, show me how I can please you. Show me what pleases you. Show me who I should talk to. Show me who I should give a pat on the back. Show me who I should pray for. Show me who I should slip a little money to because they're in need. Show me how I can help people. Show me how I can encourage the pastor. How many of you thought that? How many of you thought when you were listening to worship today that it was your style or wasn't your style, but it didn't matter because you thought, is God being glorified? Is he being lifted up? Is he being worshiped? Yes, God, we worship you. Because that's what's important. Pleasing God, not pleasing you. And I want to tell you something. We all battle with it. Every time I teach, I pray, God, what's going to please you? 
What do you want me to talk about? And after I teach, every time I get an email or two or 10 from people that say what they didn't like about what I said or what they had a problem with. And I wanna tell you, when I get those emails, does it bother me? Yes, but ultimately I don't care. Ultimately, I don't care. And this is why. Because I have to come into this desiring to please God. Pastor Derek has to teach to please God. The worship team has to please God. Do you understand? And that's what you have to do as well. We're to live our lives to please him, not to please people. If that makes any sense at all. All right. Now... I, I've got some more here. I'm just going to ruffle some feathers. Are you ready? If you're on staff, did you come here because you're paid and you're required to, to put in your time, or did you come here to please God? If you're a volunteer, did you come here with a heart for God to really work and to, to bless him, or did you come just because you're on planning center and you had to come? Would you come today if there was just a prayer meeting without music or a speaker, or is that too boring? Would you come if this were a session of handing out food to the needy, even if we didn't feed you donuts and coffee? Did you ask God what he wants you to do today to please him? I have a feeling that most of us didn't, and not because we don't want to please God, but because it is just so far from the way we think. It is so far from our everyday operation because we just get used to putting on automatic. And before long, we get off track and we begin to think that this is all about us. This is all about our preference or something instead of worshiping the almighty God. We cannot talk about living a life of sacrifice without reading Romans chapter 12. Turn there with me, Romans 12. Verse one. says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Our reasonable service, it means this is reasonable. To give God everything is a reasonable response to a God who gave everything for us. It's a reasonable response. Living a life of Christ-centered service is ultimately seeing your life as a sacrifice unto God, not because you have no choice, but because you love so much. Jesus served others and ultimately served people from every tongue, tribe, and nation with his death and resurrection. His service was that of complete sacrifice. Now you may be thinking, yeah, it's Jesus, you know, and that was his job. He came here to do that, and I'm not Jesus, you know. But the truth is, is that he's told us that this is how he wants us to live our lives. John 15, 
you don't have to turn there, just I'm going to read it really quick. This is starting in verse 9. It says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So do you want to abide in the love of Christ? He says, keep my commandments. And then further down in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. So he's laying it out for us. He says, you want to abide in me? Keep my commandments. Here it is. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. This is my command. Love one another. You know, it's, it's easy for me to say that I love you. You know, I love the church or I love mankind or I love, you know, all the people of the world. I could say that and I could maybe mean it generally or philosophically. But this is talking about much more than that. This is like if I said, I love Joey Frizzell, and I do love Joey Frizzell. I love Joey. That's great. But Jesus is saying, I need to love Joey to the point that I would lay down my life for Joey. And not just for Joey, for Des, for everybody in here. That as a believer, that I would love so much. I would love God so much that I would be willing to lay down my life. Think about that. You want to abide in Christ? Then it says to love his people sacrificially. So who do we sacrifice to? We sacrifice to God as a way to honor and obey him. You're not sacrificing for the pastor, for the ministry leader, or to impress anybody. You're not sacrificing to get your way into heaven because we know it's by grace through faith that we're saved in Jesus. We don't do it through works. We sacrifice out of obedience. It's who we are we love. And what do we sacrifice? We sacrifice time, money, energy, personal goals. Whatever God asks us to give up, we surrender to Christ. We surrender. Here is a great quote, I believe. It says, sacrifice alone, bare and unrelieved, is ghastly, unnatural, and dead. But self-sacrifice, illuminated by love, is warmth and life. It is the death of Christ, the life of God, and the blessedness and only proper life of man. What's he saying? That a life poured out, sacrificing for the love of God, filled with the love of God, is the way that, that a, a believer should live their life. Where do we sacrifice? Everywhere. Not just at church, but home, marriage, family, job, community. We live a way of life. And when do we do it? Now and always. We don't turn it on and off. We live a sacrificial life. It says in Hebrews 6 that God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. It goes on to say, don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Some of you have gotten tired. You've lived that sacrificial life. You've lived to serve, but you've just let yourself get sluggish. You've grown weary. And we're going to talk in a moment about how that happens. Let God reinvigorate you. 
put his spirit in you to overflowing. Why do we sacrifice? For the purpose of glorifying Jesus, loving others. God has plans greater than we could ever ask or imagine in store for us. If we will lay down our dreams to make space for his. He has inexpressible joy for us. If we will exchange what has made us temporarily happy for his dreams and visions that are full of purpose, meaning, and adventure. John 10, 10 says, I have come that you may have life and more abundantly. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Very quickly, I'm going to go over some danger signs that sacrifice is off the rails, that your desire to sacrifice has gotten off track. When your sacrifice is not accompanied with time alone in the word and prayer, when your sacrifice is no longer accompanied with time with Jesus, it has become a religious ritual. Here's a quote by William Penn. It says, it is a coal from God's altar that must kindle our fire. And without fire, true fire, there is no acceptable sacrifice. Another way we know we've been derailed is when you become bitter or resentful or hardened. Somehow you've gotten off track. Maybe you started sacrificing. You started serving. You started trying to do it. You had the right attitude. You were worshiping Jesus. And before long, it just became by rote. And you were just bitter, resentful. You no longer like it, but you just keep doing it. And you feel like it belongs to you. And you're not going to let anybody else do it. But you're just bitter. Nobody can stand to be around you. You know what you can do? You can take a breath. You can step back. You can repent. You can ask God to fill you. You can let somebody else serve for a minute. Just relax. Let God love you. If you begin to think that you're superior to others because you're so sacrificial, if you start thinking you're superior to others because of your super sacrificialness, the chances are you're off track. When you think that your sacrifice makes you more appealing to God, you're off track. If you think he likes you more because of the amount that you serve or what you're doing, I want to tell you that God will never love you more or less than he does right now. His love is perfect. When you manipulate or try to force others to sacrifice like you're sacrificing, and you have spiritual superiority, you lord it over them, you manipulate them spiritually, or you try to control people, you're off track. Yep. When you become hyper-focused on pleasing others, and you become a man-pleaser, no longer sacrificing out of love, it's trying to be liked. Right. You know, that happens sometimes because you're doing something for the Lord and people start telling you, good job, or pat on the back, or can you come and share that? And all of a sudden you start doing it for people without even realizing it. And then you're, you start being afraid to say certain things because Uncle Johnny and Aunt Frankie won't like it. You start feeling like, oh no, I, I have to be careful now and I have to do this because people won't like me if I don't do it. You're off track, you're off track. And in all of those cases, you can get some counsel. You can step back. Talk to some people who can help you pray and get back on track. The, the answer is not to stop serving. Right. 
The answer is to take a break and recalibrate, be recalibrated by the Spirit of God. So back to what I shared at the beginning about the window. I want you to open the drapes, look into your future. What do you want your life to be like? I want to tell you what I want to see for my life. I want to be a real believer of Jesus. I want to love God. I want to pour my life out for him. I want to be found helping, feeding, serving others. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to teach. I want to see people come into the kingdom of God. I want my family to know that they're loved and that I am wholly committed to God and he is first. I want a thriving, abundant life that enjoys the blessings of God but doesn't worship them. I don't want to spend my life worried about my reputation or being admired by others. Can you see something similar in your own life? Are you ready to commit to today, tomorrow, and forever your life to Jesus and to really serve him because it requires surrender? You can trust him. He's faithful. He loves you. And he's worthy. Remember, he came to give you life more abundantly. Exchange your good plan for his best plan. He loves you. And he wants you to know him and serve him. Would you bow your head with me? This morning, there may be people here who have never given their hearts to Christ. You've never done it. And remember I said when we're looking through this window, the first step to having a life where you're leaving a legacy that is meaningful, the very first step is to know Jesus. It's to receive Christ, to surrender everything to him. And I have to tell you, there's some amazing things that happen when you do that. He forgives you of your sin. He gives you a a clean start. But that isn't even why we do it. We do it because he's worthy of it. We do it because he's God and he sent his son, Jesus, down a cross to restore us to him, that we could have relationship with him. If you want to pray this morning to receive Christ, to surrender to him. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up right now so I can pray with you. Is there anybody here that says, Pastor Jim, that's me. I want that. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Anyone else? I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else says, Pastor Jim, I need Jesus. I know I do. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? You believers, there's some of you here today that are like, man, I have not looked through that window into my future. I have not seen my life like that, but I want to. I need to get back to making it all about Jesus. I need to please him and not myself. I need to focus on living my life for him, not for others. And I need prayer for that. Would you lift up your hand right now? Let me see your hand. See your hands. 
Anybody else? I see your hands. I see you. I got you. Praise the Lord. Father, I thank you for these. I thank you, God, for these that have raised their hands and some didn't raise their hands, but they're still praying. God, we come to you and we just thank you for access to come before you to pray, to ask you for anything. We thank you, God. I thank you for these that have raised their hands to receive you as their personal savior, to surrender their lives to you today. And I pray, God, that you would fill them to overflowing with everything that you are. I pray, Father, that as they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart in Jesus, that you would save them. And I pray, God, for these believers who have lifted their hands saying, I want more. I want to stop living a token Christian life, but I want to really be devoted and worship Jesus. Thank you for them, Father. Please meet them where they're at. I pray, God, that you would send people all week to encourage them, that you would speak to their heart by your spirit. Praise you, God. Everybody look at me for a second. We have some prayer counselors up front, our follow-up team, and they really would love to pray with you. So if you raised your hand either to receive Christ or to recommit, to proclaim that your life is all about pleasing Jesus and you, you raised your hand and you want prayer, I'm gonna ask you in a moment to come down for prayer. I'm gonna ask you to, we're all gonna stand so that you can get out easily. Just come up front for prayer and our brother Dominic is gonna lead us in a, in a worship song, all right? Can we do that? Everybody stand up right now. And if you raised your hand, you come up front. We thank you. bow before you in our hearts. We desire for you to be pleased, God. We ask you to lead us. We pray that your word would become so very real to each of us. We pray, Father, that your spirit would speak loudly to us. We pray that you would guide everything within us. We praise you and love you in Jesus' name, amen.